And welcome to episode number two. This is two decades in the Texas Hill Country, and this is the first time we've done a podcast live here on Morse Ranch. And so I'm blessed today to bring in my good friend. And the reason I really came to Fredericksburg in the first place, and that's uh, David Marwitz. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what Fredericksburg was like in 2000 and what's changed. And I think it's going to be an interesting discussion because that was a good point in the history of our little community where things really started to turn around. And so I've asked David today to kind of walk me through that history a little bit and for us to have a conversation. We're broadcasting live on Facebook and on YouTube. We're going to try to watch our comments. We're new at this technology, so we'll do the best we can. Uh, but at this time, I'd like to bring in David. And David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having me on today. Well, David, a couple things here. Uh, I remember when I bought the house here on, in uh, Fredericksburg that the town was quite a bit different. And uh, we used to get the dogs and we would walk downtown and walk on Main Street. And what I found was is that things, uh, it was a little sleepy German town. And I know that about two decades ago, things really started to change here in Fredericksburg. And uh, we went from having just German bakeries to having a, a, a more progressive kind of bakery in town. We had a, a new gourmet restaurant. And I thought I'd start this kind of story with, with, the, with you because you're the one that actually kind of recruited me to the community. So what brought you to the Hill Country and, and what are some of those things that you think still remain today? Well, uh, it was a great place to live. Uh, a lot of amenities that people don't think about. Uh, what started... Darlene and I going there um, was initially uh, the antique stores and Homestead had just opened up and we went out there and looked at it. It had everything from antiques, primarily uh, French, uh, linens, all kinds of things. But what really got me out there more was uh, Kerrville rotated with different bicycle clubs across Texas, an annual Easter hill country ride. And my friend, Bobby Garish, who unfortunately no longer is with us, uh, died a couple of years ago of lung cancer, uh, was a non-smoker, but uh, had found this ride and invited me out. And Darlene and I came out and the ride uh, started on Fridays. Um, and it was in Fredericksburg. And then the Saturday and Sunday rides were in Kerrville. Well, Bobby and another friend stayed in Kerrville in a tent. Darlene and I stayed in a bed and breakfast. And there was just something about the feeling in Fredericksburg that grabbed our attention then. Um, and that first ride, I'll never forget, Bobby and I were always trying to get more mileage in. And so this was a 55-mile ride, and we wanted to get 70 miles. We'd never driven that far. And so we looked at the route and went up towards Harper, then came back on Tyvedale Road. And I'll never forget this. We stopped for just a, a break on the hill on Tyvedale Road, about 10 miles from um, – where it intersects with 290. And the view from that hill out there, I thought, boy, isn't this great? Wouldn't it be nice to have this view all the time? Um, we finished our 70 mile ride. Of course, we were exhausted. And, uh, but starting then, we started going out to Fredericksburg more and we realized there were more bed and breakfasts. And when, so each time we'd stay a day or two longer. Well, David, uh, I think what people may not know is that you actually saved my life because at least during one of my divorces, we would walk downtown with the dog and we would sit on Main Street. And I was just remember at that time when in our community that you would go to downtown Fredericksburg and at five o'clock, 
the sidewalks would just roll up. There was no one in downtown except for people that were kind of walking back uh, to their bed and breakfasts. And I remember when we when I first moved here, there were probably about 200 bed and breakfasts, but there were only a few older hotels. And one of the things you and I used to do was to go down and we'd walk the dog. The dog would always want to swim in front of the courthouse. And we would look at couples. And one of the things that we'd, we'd, we'd always notice was you could always tell who was the happy couple, right? Somebody was either dragging their spouse along or there were two people that looked like they were in love. And uh, it was people came for the weekend to really kind of look at antiques and experience the Germantown. Um, that's the kind of the first memory that I have of, of coming into town and knowing exactly kind of what that little small town, almost Andy Griffin feeling was, was really all about. Um, but it started to change. And uh, one of the things that changed was we started to see some new businesses. You want to talk a little bit about what you noticed uh, about the changes that happened back in those days? Well, what I really noticed, Dan, was uh, on those walks, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and we had a yellow lab, Hannah, that was, you're right, would swim in the fountain at the courthouse. And the people would meet would want to stop and pattern. We'd always ask where they were from, if they were visitors. And primarily at night on Main Street, it, it was visitors, not locals. But what I look back on now and remember, we used to complain um, about the loud pickups, the teenagers going up and down Main Street and, you know, with their loud exhaust pipes. And, with the, and uh, it wasn't about the large number of cars or pickups or the tourists in town. It was just the loud numbers. But you could relax and kind of, kick back and then we started noticing um, some different stores come in the uh, restaurants as you had mentioned earlier um, particularly the Navajo Grill that was probably one of the first what I considered upscale restaurants that had a hill hill country feel to it that came in it's also the first time you could uh, probably get a thick steak here yes and also I'll never forget they had a fried oyster soup uh, it was delicious, and I never had a fried oyster soup, soup before, but one New Year's Eve, Darlene and I went there, and if you remember, it had a little side room uh, that was added on, so half of the build or the side room was rock walls, and it got real cold that New Year's Eve, and of course, that's before everybody had, you know, the propane heaters you put up and all that, and so they literally gave you Navajo blankets to wrap up in. And so we wrapped up in there, and I mentioned uh, the Navajo soup, and they were out of it. Uh, and the owner found out I asked for it and went back and made some Navajo soup and brought it out to us. Um, Nav I mean, oyster, fried oyster Navajo soup. You know, it's interesting. Uh, to try to set the stage for people, um, you know, back, back in those days, and I think why people fell in love with Fredericksburg, um, you know, 20 years ago, was the fact that it was really just a small town. And people have these visions of what a small town actually looks like. You know, it's got businesses that are very active in a downtown. People actually shop. There's, a, you know, lots of, you know, there's people park their cars at an angle. And it really was a very beautiful, small little town. And it had local businesses. And the local businesses had often been run by people who had lived here for generations. And, in fact, um, I remember one of the things that, that, that I noticed when I first moved here was the fact that people still spoke German. So you would walk into certain businesses, and in fact, that still happens today, but albeit it's a lot less than it was back in those days. But people would actually talk German, and it was a 
you were an outsider. I remember when I first moved here, I was an outsider, and I really wasn't sure that I knew uh, all of the ropes uh, that happened at the time. But one of the things I remember was going into Dietz's Bakery in in downtown uh, Fredericksburg, and Dietz was known for selling kolaches. And I remember that I went into the the bakery one morning, and uh, I came in there at ten thirty. I parked on Main Street, and um, they were out of kolaches. And um, I made the mistake of being a young, uh, you know, thought I was a local and made a suggestion that maybe, you know, gosh, you know, all these people moving to town, maybe you should make more kolaches. And I was shut down pretty quick because uh, they were going to make so many kolaches and they were going to hang a sign on the door and they were going to shut the door and move on down the road. And in fact, that mentality happened a lot here. Uh, Barbecue restaurants, local restaurants, if they sold their food out, they were done. They would hang up the shingle and they weren't really open to take a lot of suggestions from uh, particularly new people uh, moving to town. But about that time, we started to notice some some new things happening. And, and the first one you mentioned was food. Navajo Grill opened downtown in a small little restaurant. Now it's actually moved to a bigger restaurant on, on the edge of town. And we had a new bakery because unlike a lot of small towns in Texas, we probably had four bakeries when I first moved here in 2000, and all of them were old German bakeries. But you want to tell you want to talk a little bit about the the new progressive baker that moved to town and kind of shook things up in the in the baking industry here. It was interesting, Dan, because of those bakeries. You're right, Dietz was a, uh, a landmark that um, necessarily um, customer service didn't apply to visitors in that store. And I remember, I think a lot of it uh, helped you and I because we're originally from small towns. You from Iredale, me from Evan. And I had somebody tell me one time, said, you don't seem like one of those people from Austin. Um, but the Rebecca rather opened her rather sweet bakery and it was delicious uh, food. Um, she's written at least two cookbooks, maybe more, but I know two for sure that are wonderful. I don't cook, but I love reading cookbooks. And as you know, I don't travel and I love reading travel books also. Uh, but this little bakery came in and people would line up and they would sell also. But what I thought was unusual was during the week, there was a table of two of locals that started going in there. And so you could come in and not only see some of the tourists, but you could see some of the locals and you could uh, visit with them. Like Mr. Warner, who had the feed store, whose uh, daughter was a physician, he was managing their practice, we'd visit about healthcare while I was waiting to get my muffins in the morning. And I never will forget this, she had a brand muffin that Darlene asked me to pick up one morning. I thought, God, I don't want to eat bran muffin on a Saturday. And um, anyway, I got that along with blueberry, but I tried it. And, oh, my gosh, Rebecca even made bran muffins taste good. You know, David, uh, the other thing that I think is really kind of shocking about Fredericksburg back in those days was that it could really compare to today because just – you know, in the last uh, five years, we've had an explosion in live music here. So, so much so that, you know, you'll hear people grumbling downtown about things like noise ordinances and things of noise coming from Main Street. But honestly, back in 2000, the only really music or noise you ever heard at my house, which was about four blocks from downtown, happened to be maybe a a polka or you'd hear something coming from market plots. Um, But we really did not have a lot of live music. And if you wanted to, to listen to live music, you drove out to the Albert Ice House 
And sometimes on a Friday and Saturday night, you could find a dance. And, and honestly, you can still do that today on, on some weekends. You go to Luchenbach. Everybody's heard of Luchenbach. But in Fredericksburg proper, there really wasn't a lot of live music. And in fact, um, I remember when my kids were little, uh, it was always a, kind of a tradition here. We would drive down on Friday and we would go to Andy's, which is a local restaurant, kind of a local diner. It's not open for dinner anymore, but at that time it was, and we would go to the this, you know, we had a they had a big salad bar, which I mean, I don't know after COVID if that's going to disappear, but we'd go to the the uh, salad bar and they had a live musician, and that for me that was the only live music that I remember in 2000. And today, I mean, there's probably ten venues downtown that have live music. It was, you know, Dan, that was some good times back then, and. uh Catherine and Will enjoyed the uh, salad bar, as we all did. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I remember, too, was the seafood buffet, because I think everything was fried, but they had some, like, baked cod. I never did try it, of course. Um, but the musician played uh, real uh, quiet music, so it wasn't loud. And um, it was. And if as we would walk on Main Street, I, probably, I told somebody one time the most questions – or the most asked questions I got question I got was, is there any live music? And why aren't the stores staying open later? And we said, well, that's what part of makes Fredericksburg unique. Why you enjoy it. You come out here and, and look at the views and walk main street, stay in your bed and breakfast and just have a good time. And, and you get away from the city. Not everybody appreciated that though. No, no, they they really didn't. And uh, but in, in things have certainly changed. I, I remember back in those days that there wasn't really a lot of places to stay except bed and breakfasts. And, you know, I had honestly my first bed and breakfast that I ever stayed in my life was here in Fredericksburg. And it happened to be about three blocks from where I eventually uh, bought uh, my little house, uh, just four blocks north of Main Street there on Adams. And uh, I remember going through the the website Gaston House Schmidt. This was way before, way before things like uh, VRBO and Airbnbs. Uh, but you could go on, and I remember page after page after page of of B&Bs. And you know, people would talk about muffins and uh, breads in the morning and juice, and it was truly kind of a bed and breakfast breakfast experience and we had a couple of hotels but but for the most part people stayed in a B&B and about 2000 we also started to see kind of this onset of kind of not just uh, not just local hotels anymore but also some some kind of mass uh, chain hotels and I remember thinking at the time this could be the downfall right because the bed and breakfasts would be were so great and it really added a lot of uh, of kind of goodness about the community where people would come and visit. And what ended up happening is it just increased the number of visitors. Uh, I don't think it had any effect at all on the B&Bs. And in fact, I think we have just as many today as we had back then. Uh, Dan, you're right. We have even more. What's an unusual, uh, I remember when they said there were 300 B&Bs in Gillespie County and I thought, oh my God, you know, they're empty most of the time. Well, they weren't. And uh, then it kept growing, then 500. And I'm like you, I thought, well, you know, it, it can't go any further than this. And the last time I heard, and this was a couple of years ago, that there were over uh, 1,100 B's in Gillespie County, and it was not unusual for all of them to be full. The other thing unique about Fredericksburg at that time period also when we were there, Dan, was that um, there wasn't any chains. 
other than the Dairy Queen, I can't think of another chain off the top of my head that was there other than, of course, gasoline. Um, but it, and the other thing that Fredericksburg did that some places haven't done, the Visitors and Convention Bureau, which has done a great job in, in Fredericksburg, but in the historical district, they looked to the future and decided, you know, this is what people come for, the beautiful architecture on Main Street, the B&Bs in the, the historical district. And they put in an ordinance that, uh, and I don't know exactly all the details of it, but uh, if you had more than three businesses, you couldn't locate in the historical district unless in city council there was a waiver approval. But they allowed if you were a local business that started there and expanded and had more than three or four stores, you could do that. So that downtown area has been protected, which I think is, is added to the huge growth that we've seen now because you didn't have all these chain stores pop up and take away from that. Uh, even with all the wineries and things out on 290 now, people still walk Main Street. Yeah, you hear a lot of a local uh, urban, you know, urban gossip about the fact that, well, we're going to hold off this, hold off that. I don't know how much we've actually been successful in holding off uh, urban progression because certainly we have a Walmart and uh, right. yeah, we now have a Starbucks. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about those that is that the local business. Not in the historical district. Not in the historic district. And you're yeah. correct. All of them have been pushed it toward the edge of town. And, you know, what's been great about it is is that I'm not, I'm not going to go so far because I haven't done business consulting with these local businesses. But in reality, it seems like they're all busy. And, in fact, I know for a fact we have at least two you know, coffee shops downtown that are locally owned and they're spectacular. And both of them that, that I, you know, go to on a, on a fairly regular basis, one of them almost all the time, which is Twisted Sister. But those, those coffee shops are busy. And in fact, uh, even during this uh, really weird year, you know, with COVID-19, it's been, uh, they've stayed, you know, relatively busy, which you can argue the pros and cons of having all those people in a small town at a given time, given what's going on. But uh, you're right. Things have really stayed, you know, a little bit unchanged. I do think that some of the traditional kind of small town German flair maybe has seen a little bit of, of, of stretching, um, but you, but it's still there. And in fact, uh, um, I would say it's busier on Main Street now, and particularly after five o'clock. If I walk down Main Street, you're going to see uh, you're going to see hundreds of people in town after five o'clock, listening to live music. Restaurants stay open later. There's local bars. There's karaoke. Um, you know, when we got a rock music bar in Fredericksburg, I thought, oh my goodness gracious, what's happening to downtown? But all of them have been successful, and they've catered to a lot of tourists. But certainly. A little bit of a change but then you'll walk another block and you'll turn into the door of a place like Dooley's which is a five and dime store here and uh, you're stepping back in time it looks just like it did 20 years ago in fact I think the same people work there that worked there 20 years ago and um, to me it captures the spirit of what is Fredericksburg it does Dan and one of the things where I noticed on the locals uh and you know that I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive, that I tend to eat the same foods and sit at the same places. And Twisted Sisters was so nice because uh, there's another regular that went in there that we sat at the same place. Uh, now, I'll deny that I ever stood next to a table that was finishing up and uh, stood right next to them till the, so they would leave sooner. 
but with the visitors, you know, they don't see that now. And they don't see, you would be in there as a local. I would go in there and write uh, and return emails usually for an hour or two in the afternoon. And a lot of the locals would come in and we could talk about what things were going on. You'd see people. Uh, Dooley's though is still one of my favorite stores. I still get, I don't use shaving cream. I use shaving soap. And when I go to Fredericksburg, I get three bars uh, of shaving soap from there. You might, I know you remember the time we went in there and I, you wanted a cast iron skillet, you know, a five and dime store and they had it. Uh, you go in there, they got dog supplies. But my favorite story about Dooley's, and I'll never forget this, is that uh, Will and Catherine love going into Dooley's. And so one year at Christmas, I was trying to decide what do you get for them? You know, they're, I'm not sure when they're going to be here and all this. And so I got each of them a $20 gift certificate at Dooley's. And it never registered on me what $20 in Dooley's meant. And, and when you told me how long it took to uh, get that, I still laugh about it. Well, it took three trips to, to spend that much money. And uh, we had to go to a specific register within the, the store uh, because they only take cash and they don't take credit cards. Uh, my favorite Dooley story has to be the time that they were featured in the New York Times over having a certain kind of hair gel. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get the facts all wrong here, and I'm sure somebody in town is going to point it out to me later. But they had like 200,000 orders or more, and uh, they don't take credit cards. So they shipped them all, and they just told them to send the money after they got the product. And I'm pretty sure they received almost 100% of the money for all that product uh, that was sent. So Dooley's uh, clearly is a way of stepping back in time. So if you visit Fredericksburg today, it's going to look the same as it did uh, 50 years ago. The other thing that's that's changed here, and, and I would say changed for the better, is that the food is both changed and stayed the same. And uh, in fact, this uh, blog is is really about food, although we talk we talk about lifestyle too. But you know, I really learned to cook. Um, here in Fredericksburg. And part of that that journey, that cooking journey with me was being having access to local things. And, and I remember the first time I ever cooked a, a steak over wood fire was here from a fire pit that was built by the Rody brothers, which that family has been here for generations in, in Texas. And they didn't build those fire pits for some, you know, you know, visitor who bought a house and decided he was local. They built those for for deer camps. Yes. That's one of the things that Dan and, um, and one of the reasons I really enjoy your blog is because I don't cook. Uh, for those people that are listening, uh, I'll tell them that I'm not, not just a freeloader, that I do wash the dishes and clean up the kitchen. And I get mad if people try to help in a way that's not appropriate, uh, which means that not in the order in which I like doing it. But um, yeah, the Rody brothers, when I went by, there they told me said well you know deer hunting this is what we wanted and i still remember still have the the pit but that hook on there was for a dutch oven but also for a fish fryer they could swing and it swung so you could swing over the fire fry fish on it and had the grill now, i'm sure and, um, from a safety standpoint you know swinging a, uh, a cast oh, yeah. iron thing full of, of hot oil yeah. but but my favorite uh probably some of the most fun times I've had is with you cooking over wood like that. And I, the neighbor uh, behind us was a, a EMT. And he told me this story later. Uh, but when we first got it, 
Uh, of course, you know, we wanted to build a big fire and he was downtown and saw smoke coming up and thought his house might be on fire and he rushed over there and we were out there cooking in the back. But one thing I can say about those nights, um, we always had plenty of food. No, we did. And, and one of the things that the reason I always think that Fredericksburg really kind of taught me to cook was that on an impulse, you could do virtually anything here you wanted to food-wise. And it's gotten a lot better even over the last uh, 20 years. And uh, I'll tell everyone kind of a really quick story. But one day I decided that I wanted to make a paella. And uh, we have a great cooking store in town called Der Cook and Laden, and you can find them online. Uh, I don't know their website, but you can Google them. They're the only cooking uh, supply store that we have in town. And it's in the old hospital building in downtown Fredericksburg. It's a phenomenal store, and the people are just amazing, and they have incredible uh, utensils. And I bought a paella pan, and you know me. I was like, okay, I want the biggest one I can find. And so I bought this huge paella pan. And the other thing we had going for us was a really kind of a radical change in HEB. So the HEB in Fredericksburg will rival anything that Central Market can bring. And I remember I found all the ingredients for the paella. And then the Rody brothers, I asked them, you know, do you think I could cook a paella over that wood fire? And I think they pretty much told me I could cook anything over the wood fire. They weren't sure about a paella. But I made that, that paella, and I think the pan was somewhere in the neighborhood of about three and a half or four feet across, David. And I remember I cooked that paella. It was yeah. absolutely beautiful. And it was so heavy and so hot, we couldn't lift it off the fire. <laughs> I remember. And so we ate it out over the fire. The other thing, Dan, that was before people took photos of food. And so we have no record of it. No, the only, the only record of it is I still have the pan. Now, I haven't actually done a paella that large since that time. But the, the take-home message here is that, yeah, you should. Yeah, the take-home message here is that you, you do, you know, things have changed. And, and certainly, particularly in the food scene, now there's, you know, there's hundreds of, of places to go eat. I do always tell people that if you're going to come here on the weekend and you think you're going to go out to dinner, you better make reservations because it is virtually impossible to get a seat at, at a restaurant on a weekend here without reservations. But, you know, from a culinary standpoint, because of that somewhat difficulty in getting a reservation, it also really kind of pushed the, the need for me to, to learn to cook. And I think that the community has responded because HEB, if I can, I can literally walk in there and find everything from lobster to caviar to steaks and uh, everything that I need. And we're also very blessed because we have a great butcher here and the family, the Dutchman, uh, the Dutchman uh, meat shop here in town has been here forever. And uh, I still think even to this day, uh, they like to to goof me around because I go in there and want the biggest, thickest steak I can get. And one day I walked in there and they cut one you know, about four and a half inches thick that was 64 ounces. And I just had to look at them and take it and say, you know what, I'm going to cook it. And I did. Uh, but we do have great ingredients, which uh, really allows you to, to do a lot of hill country cooking. But at the same time, it's kind of based on some of the whole traditions. I mean, like I, we had this whole story about cooking and about a paella, which is something that you can get in a big city, but we cooked it over a wood fire that really, in a wood pit that was really built for, you know, built for a deer stand. Um, David, we're, well, we're about was- out of time, but I want to I take a minute here. The other thing that, that really has changed and I think probably has a fundamental kind of impact on our community is wine. And uh, I'm not going to do it justice here, but uh, David, I want you to make a few comments. Back, you know, 20 years ago, 
did and I'm a wine lover. You're not really a wine lover. Did you really think that it would be that level of impact on our community today? Dan, I couldn't even imagine. And still, it's hard to, to imagine what really has happened in Fredericksburg. Dr. Becker had that winery there. Um, you know, people said it was a good wine. We didn't go out there. It had been there forever. Uh, didn't think about it. To be honest, some people thought it was more of a write-off for him uh, than really making wine, and we were wrong on that, of course. But, no, it, to look out 290 right now, Dan, it's just hard to, to comprehend. And also, every month I thought, well, it can't grow anymore. It can't grow anymore. And then I got to looking, and it really makes sense of what happens. If you look at Fredericksburg, it's one of the most beautiful parts of Texas. Um, it has things to do there. And so you're hour and a half, two hours from Austin, San Antonio, uh, Dallas and Houston, half a day's drive. You've got places to stay, places to eat. And Texas is 27 million people, and probably they're within a day's drive at the most of 75% of 27 million people. So I don't see Fredericksburg going away. If anything, it probably expands more because you it, you can take a weekend, you can take a day, and you can come out there. But if you'd have told me that in uh, 1999 we moved out there, I would have laughed uh, off the street. Well, I would actually say it's not the first time we've been wrong <laughs> about things in, in our <laughs> friendship. Uh, but I would I would agree with you. I never in a, in a million years thought that we would have the influence that wine would have uh, on the community and uh, of our area. And I would have to say, you know, it's been a positive influence. It certainly has driven a huge amount of tourism to the area. And I would just echo everything uh, David said. And, and kind of just to wrap us up a little bit is that, you know, things have changed over the last two decades. And um, there will be some people out there that are going to say, yeah, you know, with all the crowds, things are a little bit different. But I'm going to argue that that's not true. I'm going to tell you what the, the real story here is that it is still a small town. It does have a lot of tourists on the weekends, but there are pockets where you can walk into Fredericksburg and you can step back in time to 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago. And if you drive out in the country and you head out on Tavidale Road, which is David did, and he started off that story, and you look out over the sunset, I'm going to tell you that sunset really hasn't changed in the last 50 years. And the reason that I moved here. Uh, during that time and, and and living out on here Morris Ranch, I, I will tell you, I tell people this all the time, that it's kind of a tradition that at sunset everybody walks outside and maybe has a glass of wine and watches the sunset. And uh, that is the beauty of the Texas Hill Country. Uh, David, thanks for, for joining us on this episode number two of the podcast, uh, talking about Fredericksburg 20 time, years ago. And I appreciate the invitation. And I want to thank everybody that, that signed on, and I really appreciate the uh, comments on Facebook. Uh, if you get a chance, you can go to the Chef Dano Facebook page and, and like that. I'd love to share some recipes and hear your stories. Uh, one of the things that's changing about the blog is that we're going we're gonna to incorporate a lot of other people because uh, this is a story about people. It's not a story about me. And so we're going to go out and, and interview people and make sure that the stories get told about the Texas Hill Country and about the food and the lifestyle and the culture. And, and so people that get on the Facebook page and put your comments or send me a private or direct message, and we'll be happy to explore uh, the things that are on your mind. And uh, this podcast is also available on iTunes. So if you get a chance, you can subscribe on iTunes, and we would love to, to be able to share part of that story with you. So thanks for joining us for this episode number two of the Texas Hill Country and ChefDano.com.